this is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Keep the text coming on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. Hit us up on the socials. Hit that follow button to see all the shenanigans behind the scenes, show previews, all that good stuff. WFNZ on Twitter and Instagram. At Westbrine underscore 72. At HTB underscore Josh. And at Walker Mail. And most importantly, at Wesson Walker on Twitter and Instagram. We got a lot to get to. Let's get to it. It's time for the campus corner. All right. We've talked a good deal about the court storming in the Wake Forest Duke matchup, but let's talk about the actual basketball game. The Deeks get the win 83 to 79. It had 14 ties, 14 lead changes, each team holding the advantage for more. Uh, I don't know what that says. I don't know how they wrote that that way. But anyway, the two teams combined <laughs> to shoot 56% from the field. Duke made 53% of their field goals from the floor, while Wake Forest connected on 60% of their field goals. Duke won the rebound battle, and the Demon Deeks have now won two consecutive games, home games against the Blue Devils for the first time since 2008-2009. It also marks the highest-ranked victory for Wake Forest since their 113-101 overtime win over the number seven Blue Devils on February 25th of 2020. Wake is 46-5 and at home since the start of the 2021-2022 season. Wake Forest had 14 assists on 29 made baskets. Kyle Filipowski had 17 points. Jared McCain also had double figures in the game for the 10th time in his last 11 games. 15 points, 5 boards. Hunter Salas had a monster game. 29 points, 11 of 13 from the field, 5 of 6 from 3 to go with 6 boards. Fellas, what do we think of this basketball game? What kind of statement did Wake Forest make? Starting with you, Walker. I think that Wake Forest desperately needed this win because their opportunities, they were running out. They had another game against Virginia. That would matter. And then, of course, they would end. Excuse me. That's the Duke schedule. But their opportunities were running out with who they had left on the schedule. And the fact that Wake was able to take care of this one at home after losing to Virginia by the field goal that they did, by losing to North Carolina by 20 points the way they did earlier, this is the one they needed. And now I think, I think this is what Joe Lenardi and Bracketology needs to see before they have De- the Deben Deacons in the field of 68. So monster win, clearly. And they came out, they were ready to go. Duke never wavered too much. Like Duke was always there, right? And Kyle Filipowski himself hit a monster three to keep them in that game at the very end. Salas gets fouled, hits a couple of free throws to put the game on ice. And so they were able to combat any of the runs that Duke did have or in some of those big made field goals. But big time win. Steve Forbes needed it. It's his big, Fiddy alluded to it earlier. It's his biggest victory since he's taken over as the uh, head coach for Wake Forest. And I'm glad you were able to do it because I want to see the Deacons in the NCAA tournament. J.D., what say you? What were your thoughts on this matchup? You got your dancing shoes? I sure do. Welcome to the tournament, Steve Forbes, Wake Forest. Um, Man, it was fun game, fun atmosphere. I love love seeing Wake Forest good because I know how hard it can be to go into that building. Uh, it told, you know, Flounder got an education lesson when he learned about tie-dye nation and what it means whenever that, that, that fan base is pumped up. It was the first sellout lesson. Was it seven years, I think it was, officially? So it was a great game, great atmosphere. Was glad to see Wake Forest rose to the occasion, and, and then they surpassed it. And I think this is going to be a team that's in a position to be a double-bye in the ACC tournament. 
they've got as good a starting five as any team in the league. I would not roll. I would not rule out a run for them in Washington, D.C. in three weeks. Yeah, uh, I was excited by the game, obviously. I never had a doubt, man. I just felt like at home coming in with that 14-0 home record, I just feel like they play like the X-Men at home, man. I mean, the, the starting five is already talented. When they get at home, they're just comfortable uh, and they play free. So we talked about Hunter Salas, and I think uh, a conversation that can be had right here after that matchup and the way that he played because over the last five games, he's averaging 23 points per game. Uh, fourth in the ACC in scoring. It was his 13th 20-point game of the season. And when you look at R.J. Davis and what he's done this year, coming down the stretch, the production as far as the totality is still there. The field goal percentage, though, we're, we're going to get into that. And just wondering if the ACC player of the year race isn't as wide as it once was. And then has Hunter Salas now entered his name into the chat. So to give you a quick rundown, R.J. Davis, Carolina, his team is first in the ACC. But since January 30th, he is averaging 20 points per game, but shooting 35% from the field, 37% from three. But overall this season, he's first in scoring, 13th in assists, sixth in three-point field goal percentage, second in three-point field goals made. And he also had his highest scoring output of the season and tied for the second most in the ACC with the 36 he dropped against Wake and Hunter Salas, a game in which Salas had 18 points. But for Hunter Salas, he's fourth in the ACC in scoring. As I said, 13 20-point games. And in ACC ranks, he's third in scoring, fourth in field goal percentage, time for ninth and three-point field goals made, and second in minutes played. Did Hunter Salas, in your mind, close the gap even a little bit in this ACC player of the year race? He absolutely closed the gap. I still think R.J. Davis is the driver with this award, but... Hunter Salas did everything he could to try to get in this conversation. The problem is there are going to be more marquee matchups, at least for UNC, because they have Duke at the end. We'll see what happens in the ACC tournament. But here's what Wake Forest has left. On the road against Notre Dame and Virginia Tech, we know how much they've struggled on the road this season. I expect them to beat the Fighting Irish. In Blacksburg, it's going to be a big-time game for them, especially with their struggles on the road. We'll see if they can get out of Blacksburg with a victory. Then it's Georgia Tech, and it's Clemson. Clemson is by far the best matchup they have left in the regular season. And so if Hunter Salas continues to put somewhere close to these numbers, let's say averages 20 a game on still the same efficiency, I think if R.J. Davis gets back to what he was doing, then R.J. is going to come away with this award, especially if you have a big-time performance against the Duke Blue Devils in Cameron Indoor Stadium sure. this go-around, it's going to be tough. But Hunter Salas deserves to be mentioned because you're right. R.J. Davis has started to slip a little bit. The three-point shot is still, for the most part, pretty good. 37% is not terrible. It's not the 43, I think, that it was for a while. But it's still fine enough. Guy just can't finish at the rim right now. Anything inside the three-point arc, he has struggled massively so for a while. It took him a long time to get his first field goal in that game um, over the weekend. And so, yeah, I do think that R.J. Davis is someone that it's not as wide open, but Hunter Salas still has a ways to go if he's going to take this away. At least he's made up some ground. Biddy, what say you? Um, he closed the gap to being second and, and, and finishing second. I think he did earn... Uh, you know, he's going to be a first-team All-ACC guy with R.J. Davis in the backcourt. Look, R.J.'s numbers, maybe offensively they've dipped, but his importance and his winning plays defensively haven't. He got a big strip steal on Saturday. He got a great wraparound assist to Armando Baycott on Saturday. All these plays 
fueled a win for Carolina at Virginia to snap their historic losing streak. And so there's no denying that Salas is playing at a high level. Guards in Steve Forbes' system do, but there's also, you can look at R.J. Davis and say the production has slipped, but Carolina's not winning games without him on the court. And so uh, he's the best player on the best team, and that's why I don't think it's going to matter at the end of the day. He is your ACC player of the year. Starting a page to talk about those Tar Heels. They won 54-44 over Virginia. The win snapped an eight-game win streak by the Cavaliers in John Paul Jones Arena. The eight straight games were the most consecutive losses for Carolina at any one arena or at any opponent's home court. Cormac Ryan led North Carolina with 18 points the first time this season. He led UNC in scoring. He's got 24 threes in the last eight games. R.J. Davis made a season-low one field goal for him, one of 14 from the field, one of eight from three, but still was able to get the job done. Armando Baycott had 13 boards, and Carolina held Virginia to 27.6% from the field, Virginia's lowest since 2013, a game they played against Wisconsin. But I think for Carolina, you found a way to win in a place that had been a house of horrors for you. Yeah, of course, you want to see more from your stars. Armando Baycott, only 10 points. R.J. Davis, 12 points. But that's the thing that good teams do is that they find a way to win no matter what. And different guys can step up at different times. I think that's what you saw with North Carolina. Even though Virginia tried to make it interesting late, the Hills found a way to get it done. And that's what good teams do. What say you welcome in? I thought they would get that win because of their defense, and that's what showed up. Virginia struggles offensively, and they've done that quite a bit this season. And so even if North Carolina had been criticized for slipping a little defensively here in the last month or so, and that's true, by the way, I still thought that their effort would show up in a much-needed victory. One, just because of the lack of history that you have at Charlottesville how bad you've been when you go play Virginia in Charlottesville. It's been terrible. I thought that would be in the back of their mind, and they wouldn't allow their effort to slip. R.J. Davis couldn't hit buckets, but Finney told you, R.J. Davis's effort didn't slip there either. He's still helping you win those games, and the rebounding was a big deal. It's what we all said going into that weekend, and it did show up in a big way. So, yeah, I do think that North Carolina getting this win, it was, I think, able to show what they were able to do on one specific end of the floor. Virginia had a stretch from the field like me and Flounder on Tinder. They were one of 18 in a 13-minute <laughs> mark uh, for, or, or for 13 minutes in the first half. Tell me, guys, though, should I be concerned and little less excited? Because, boy, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a vibe in the Marlowe Mansion watching this, uh, this, lo- this losing streak in Charlottesville come to an end. Carolina never put the game away. I mean, it was 47-42 with 2.27 to go. And I was sitting there going, if we lose this game, it's going to hurt like a you-know-what. Should Carolina (laughs) fans be concerned with as well as they defended, as well as they rebounded, they couldn't put away a team that is so inept offensively like Virginia? Yeah, I think one thing to look at about Carolina, I do feel like that they may be starting to trend a little bit down going into the ACC tournament, and I want to see if that tournament refreshes them. Also, that last matchup against Duke, because, again, we point out, the uh, field goal percentage from R.J. Davis, a.k.a. Tiny Tim. I mean, R.J. Davis. Wow. uh, The way that he's been playing the last seven games. I feel like just – I just feel like teams being more physical with him is starting to wear him down. And like I said, these last seven games – He's shooting 30, uh, 34% from the field. And so I just wonder if the season is really starting to uh, take a toll on him as we get into it. And then with Armando, it's like you worry about 
is he going to be that that superstar? Because we talked about how long he's been there. Is he going to be that guy that can pick up the slack when R.J. Davis is not on his A game and if you don't get 18 points from Cormac Ryan? I'm not worried at all about what North Carolina's performance looked like. I mean, Virginia holds teams to under 50 points quite frequently. Wake Forest's offense is amazing. They've got talent all across the board. And Virginia missed a ton of free throws in that game. And Virginia still got the win over Wake Forest in Charlottesville because the Demon Deacons couldn't put 50 points up. 50. North Carolina does here with only 54, and they hold Virginia to 44. Like, I'm good. The other thing about RJ, I'll say, as far as the ACC Player of the Year conversation and what he did, he was 1 of 14 from the field. That's terrible, no matter how you slice it. Had actually a pretty fun three that he hit, but that was the only field goal he made. Y'all, he still got to the free throw line and hit nine of his ten free throws. That's still offensive production. And if, you wanna, the line. and if you want to talk about efficiency, that's one of the great ways to improve your advanced metrics is if you get to the foul line and then hit all of your free throws. The reason I think R.J. Davis is going to win by a pretty comfortable margin, ACC Player of the Year, if you go back to the last two transfers for Wake Forest to win, Tyree Appleby and Alondis Williams, they didn't have those best players on a best team type of year that R.J. is having right now. You had Buddy Bayheim lead Syracuse in scoring just last year when Tyree Appleby got that award. When you go back to see what Alondis Williams did, you didn't have that number one guy for Duke. You didn't have that number one guy for North Carolina. It was Armando Baycott, but they weren't scoring up close to 20. RJ is, and Carolina is going to be a two seed in the NCAA tournament if everything just remains status quo. That's why I think eventually you'll still have a pretty wide margin. No disrespect to Salas because that dude is absolutely balling and deserves certainly second consideration, but other guys couldn't take it away from him at prominent programs the last couple of years. This year, R.J. Davis already has done enough work, and you also have an impressive stretch to the end of the season. Uh, Walker Mill, quick thoughts from you. Charlotte drops one on the road to Tulsa. Are you a little worried about how Charlotte's closing out the season? Yeah, a little bit. Not great. Because now what's happened is you lost this luster from what it could have meant in this South Florida game that you have at the top of the conference at Halton Arena. And now it's not going to matter as much on this trend. Losing the way you did in the second half to Memphis. And then Tulsa, that that's disappointing. You lose on the road because of a terrible second half. Okay, fine. But against Tulsa, they were 500 in conference. You got to take care of that one if you're one of the best teams in your conference. They didn't, and they didn't do so. Yeah, starting to get a little worried with how they played really the last four or five games or so. All right, other scores from the weekend. NC State beat Boston College at home 81-70. to Clemson took out Florida State 74-63. to South Carolina laid waste to Ole Miss 72-59. to And App took care of Marshall 65-58. to 